man alive. The theology in that song. The theology in that song. Don't diminish God. Make him be who he is. And he is who he is. That was profound. But God is who he is. He's completely just. He's completely holy. He's completely awesome in every way possible. He can't stand to be in the sight of sin. And we're sinners. So don't, don't diminish that song, that verse, by just saying, oh, God just overlooks that stuff. He can't. And the cross is that deep. That the cross, oh my gosh, it just blows my mind. I, I, this is a prayer request in my life, and I hope it just always, I've been a follower of Jesus 23 years. I'm still just blown away by the gift of the cross. And I just hope that you are too. That you are an enemy of God. The cross allows the penalty to be paid for. Not only that, to be wiped out. It's not just that your sins are forgiven. You threw a, you threw a baseball through my window at home and you pay me 25 bucks for a new window, that's paid for. All right? That's a pretty good deal. I'm not going to come outside and start singing over you. And that's what God does. If that doesn't boggle your brain, man, I just don't know what does. If someone would love you that much, that is so cool. Let's just pray and be done, huh? No, we have a lot more to do this morning. It is so exciting. We have a lot to do. Last couple weeks, we were in a series. Oh boy, this is all messed up. Uh, we were in a series on generous giving. Generous living, excuse me. Talked about a lot of different ways to be generous. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your ticker, meaning your heart. And how you can live a life of generosity. Live a life with open hands. And uh, this has been a thing that's been burning. I, I shared with you the last couple weeks. It's been a thing burning with me and it still is. It's, it's, I love to be a giver and I'm learning in areas that God's pushing me um, to be more of a giver with my time, my heart, my, my talents, my treasure, all those things. How can I be more of a giver? And I hope that you're living a life like that. I hope that you're seeing that living life like this is a joyful way and living life like this and holding on to what I have and, and saying, this is mine. I worked hard for it. I'm going to keep it is not a joyful way of living. Matter of fact, we're going to see that in just a minute when we get into this in John chapter 8, how these, these people are living like this and their lives are, are, are a train wreck. So, you know, I hope that we're living like this. And I just want to give you a bit of an update. Uh, those we are, we're in the middle of a capital campaign to raise about $116,000 is what our original estimates were. Of course, original estimates are always blown away by the real thing that comes in, and so we've had a few things on this, so I don't know what we're going to finally end up on, but right now, of the 116, we have pledged $100,000. So that's amazing. That's amazing, because I know all of you, and I have the passwords to most of your accounts, and I know that we're not independently wealthy in this church. Uh, unless you are. Is anyone independently wealthy? Thank you. No? Um, <laughs> like you'd raise your hand, yeah, like... Um, that's just amazing. That's amazing. Uh, that's our largest ever in the, our 10-year history for, for a pledge amount. 45,481 uh, 45, has come in. And so we just want to uh, say thank you. If you're still willing to pledge, those of you who haven't had a chance and are thinking about it, that'd be great. Like I said, we're looking at the 116 number for some updates on the building and helping start Hiawatha Church. Uh, that would be great. And again, some of our estimates, uh, one of our estimates on the air conditioning 
uh, I, I guess you need electrical worth that. So we're, it's probably going to go a little bit over. I guess you've got to plug it in somewhere or something like that. I don't know. Uh, I'm not on that team, but uh, there's some now talk it might be a little bit over that. So anyway, we're just very uh, encouraged by what God's doing, not because we got money. I don't, you know, we get it because it goes to the building anyway, but, but it's not because we get money. It's because I think it's an indication of us saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one of these, and that's a blessing. This last year, um, was, it's not too bad either. Is anybody cold right now? We had a little bit cold. We, by the way, we had those red sweatshirts. Who's got a red? Coral, why don't you stand up there and show off a red sweatshirt? There you go. And there's one over here. Tara's got one. Um, that if we'd have had, we sold out of those things. So sorry. We're going to probably place another order, and then we're just going to turn the boiler off again so we can sell them because they were a hot commodity today. Uh, they're gone. They're just history. The T-shirts, eh, the sweatshirts, they're a hot commodity. The, uh, it's a little chilly in here. And the reason that's a little chilly in here is we, you, you could personally thank the 150, 200 people here that were here first service because they warmed it up for you way more than any other thing. Those little, those little bodies they call heaters helped you out. So it actually is about four degrees warmer than it was first service. But the reason that it's cold in here is because uh, the, the boiler is not working. We, we raised our money and we've been we have fixing the boiler. It is in, I don't know how many pieces downstairs, but funny thing about a boiler, it all has to be put together, otherwise the water just leaks out, and I don't like that. I asked the guy on Thursday, he hit a snafu, he broke a pipe that he wasn't supposed to break, and, and I don't know, I offered a little duct tape. He said, no, that wouldn't work, and, and, uh, but there's a pipe, and he is spending all day trying to fix that or whatever, and I said, well, is there any chance we'd have heat by the weekend? And he went, <laughs> oh, heavens no, he said. Uh, <laughs> I said, oh, it's great. We got a wedding yesterday, and we got uh, worship on here. But, but um, the, the, the reason that you're not, you're not, you're cold right now is because the boiler doesn't work. And I bet you everybody in this room has an opinion about that. You know, I mean, you have some opinion. About. Maybe very small, but you have some opinion. You're Minnesota nice. You're looking at me. Nice. You're the passive-aggressive thing. You'd say, passive-aggressive, and you say things like, oh, the boiler doesn't work. Meaning, idiot, turn on the heat. You know what I mean? There's that passive-aggressive thing, but we got that in Minnesota real, real well. We're good at that. And so we just don't ever say what we mean. We, we kind of hint at things, you know. But you know what? The boiler hasn't worked since about June 1st. It, nobody has said anything about the boiler not working since June 1st. Today, however, today you notice that the boiler doesn't work, right? Because you know your need for heat. When it's come to that point where you need heat and there's no boiler, it's like, hey, wait a minute, something is blocking my goal here. I have a goal. The goal is just I walk into a building I kind of expect it to be within the realm of, you know, somewhere above absolute zero. So, you know, I, it just, I have an expectation for that, and it's not being met, and I'm frustrated. You're maybe not too frustrated. You're a hearty bunch here, and you're, being, you're all looking at me and smiling at everything, but right now you're thinking, <laughs> why didn't they think about fixing the boiler in June? <laughs> Isn't that funny? That, that's where you're at. That's, you know, that's where, where, you know, they're frustrated on the whole thing, too, and how it all worked out. This last year, for whatever reason, due to a lot of circumstances, uh, it's been a year where I have just struggled more with anger than I probably have in any other calendar year um, that I've had. And there's a lot of reasons. I'm still trying to figure out exactly why that is. 
I'm not exactly sure. I find things happening in my life that I'm just kind of like tick, 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 just waiting. I said it to Carol a few nights ago. I just said, I'm just waiting for something to happen for me to explode. We were sitting at the dinner table, and the kids were just being kids, you know, like they do. I'm sure your kids never do that, but my kids every now and then again are kids. And they're just doing kid things, and I just leaned over to Carol and said, I'm just waiting for something to happen so I can explode. And I, the hardest thing for me is like, I, I'm not even sure what I'm mad about. This last week, uh, Monday and, or Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday, we were at a church planters retreat. A bunch of people who are starting churches are in the around the state of Minnesota. A friend of mine is leading a session. Guess what it's on? How do you deal with anger? And he said, he said something I won't forget. He said, um, anger is actually a secondary emotion. Actually, when you're angry, it's just, it's just an emotion that's hiding up. And he listed some things. Hurt, frustration, uh, fear. What was the other thing? Four things. Uh, or I feel threatened in some way. And, and I've been thinking about that. What is it? What am I hurt about? What is it I threatened about? What am I? And I started dealing with some of this stuff, even though it's not completely clear to me yet. We're going to watch. I think the opposite of what we've done the last two weeks, generosity, is living life with an open hand. Living life with a closed hand is basically saying, I have my rights People are stepping on them. I don't, uh, hey, listen, I don't ask for much. I just want heat when I walk into the church building or whatever it is. There's something that you're mad about. It's just, and I have a right to be mad. And people who are angry people always can convince you of their issue is always worthy of being angry. I know I've been one since about January. It's like, hey, listen, listen, here's the deal. And they lay out the other side and it's like, you're right. You should be angry. It's like, uh, wait a minute now. Wait a minute, really? We're going to watch today. Uh, as we go to the end of John chapter 8, how this hostility, the, op the opposite of generosity, how that plays out, what that looks like in the, in the lives of religious people. So if you got your Bible with you, flip it open to John 8 or pull out that insert or watch on the screen. Who's back there on PowerPoint today? Is that Sonia? Sonia, I'm going to skip. There's two, two, uh, two verses I'll just, we'll be skipping by here later on. I just, I inserted them, but We'll be a little short on time otherwise, so I forgot to get those in between the services. Okay, we're in John chapter 8. We are looking at this, this, this series from uh, verse 12 all the way to the end, verse four, uh, 59. All that is really one conversation. We've labeled this conversation, conversation of the weird, because it is just the weirdest conversation between Jesus and these religious rulers. Or religious people are gathered around. Jesus is in the temple courts. He's teaching. There's all these religious people around there, religious rulers, because he's in the temple courts. And there's this weird conversation happening. We've labeled this thing uh, conversation of the weird. We had to, just because of the sake of time, we've had to break it into four sections. Today we're in the last one, four of four. But I want to just to set the tone, I want to remind you what has happened. So I want to go through the first four, or excuse me, the first three parts. The whole thing starts in John and uh, Sonia. We're going to fly through this, so just get your, get your finger ready there. Here we go. Uh, 8.12 starts by Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. It's just an amazing statement. And the people that are there are saying, whoa, wait a minute. How can you say something like that? You can't just go off cracking off statements like that. You gotta, you gotta say that with other people saying that about you. You can't say that for yourself. And Jesus comes back and says, I can say those kind of things about myself, even if I said them by myself, but I got someone else who testify, me, testify for me. God the Father 
is my second witness. If you need a second witness, God the Father is my second witness. So then they ask, excuse me, I'm sorry, he doesn't say God the Father, he just says the witness is the Father. And Jesus is purposefully doing this. Remember we always talk about this here at Hope. God loves, Jesus loves honest questions. When you start giving tricksy questions, Jesus usually gives tricksy answers. He usually does. And so when they start kind of questioning him on this stuff, he, he doesn't say God the Father. He says the Father. And so they reply back, well, where is your Father? Thinking, thinking Joseph or someone else. Jesus says, you don't know me or my Father. If you knew me, you'd know my Father. And, and they're like, what's going on? So then Jesus continues on in verse 21. He says, I'm going away, and you're going to look for me, and you're going to die in your sin. Where I go, you can't come. And then they say, is he going to cack himself? I mean, it, again, this is like, what kind of a conversation is going on here? He says this, they say, are you going to kill yourself? Jesus says to him, them in verse 23, he says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. In other words, why this conversation is just woof, missing each other is because we are on different frequencies. You are AM, I am FM, we are not communicating here. Okay, they're just not happening because you're speaking this one language and I'm speaking a language of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the earth, kingdom of the world. There's two different frequencies going on here. And then he makes this huge statement. He says, I told you that you die in your sins. If you don't believe that I'm the one I claim to be, you will die in your sins. And they reply back, who are you? He says, just who I've claimed all along to be. Why all this is happening, while this big, weird conversation, the end of conversation of the weird part one, is actually, it's amazing to me, but some people actually put their faith in Christ. Conversation of the weird part two. We, it starts there. Those people who put their faith in Christ, Jesus addresses them, and he says this. He says, if anyone holds to my teaching, holds on to it, you're really my disciple. The way you become a disciple of Jesus is you hang steadfastly on to my teaching. And then he says some things are going to happen. Then you're going to know the truth, and guess what? The truth is going to set you free. Whew. Quite a statement. You hold my teaching, you're going to know truth, and then you'll be set free. Well, they respond back in anger. There's that anger thing. They respond back in hostility. These are the people who would place their faith, somewhat faith, in him, just temporary, just, ooh, it sounds good now kind of faith. They reply back to him, hey, 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 whoa, big dog, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been a slave of anyone, which is a weird thing to say because you look at Israel's history, it's full of slavery. How can you say that we be set free? And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. That's the best news you could hear this morning. That if you follow Jesus Christ, and you're dealing with whatever, I don't care whatever it is. The promise here is, if you follow him, you hold to his teaching, even when it doesn't feel right, you hold to it. He says you're going to know truth, and that truth is ultimately going to set you free. That's a chain of events. Hold my teaching, you're going to know truth, Truth will set you free. And he says, listen, I, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Yet you want to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence and you do not 
uh, and you do what you have heard from your father. Okay, that was a swipe back at them. All right? That's end of conversation of the weird part two. Part three, we started here, and they reply back to that. What do you mean our father? Abraham is our father. Jesus replies to them, if you were Abraham's children. In other words, yaint. You can quote me on that too. Yaint. Then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me. A man has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do those kind of things. You're doing the things your own father does. You know, who's your daddy? And they reply back, hey, 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 wait a minute. Since we're talking about paternity here, we're not the one who's an illegitimate child. Jesus, we've done the math. Your mama had you before. Your daddy and mommy were married. We're not illegitimate children. You are. The only father we have is God himself. You can see where this thing's going? This is getting tense now. This is getting tense. The, the, the two of them are getting, you know, you get to see them getting closer and closer, and all of a sudden the words are becoming spit words, you know? And we're getting there. <clears throat> and now I think this is where Jesus comes back. That might have even been the first indication that's kind of a little shove there before the match gets going. We're, hey, the only one we have is God himself. Jesus gives them the old shot back. And here it says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Uh, let me answer that question. Because you're unable to hear what I say. Why is that? Because you belong to your father, the devil. That's just fun to say. The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. If because I tell you the truth, you don't want to believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? What a statement. Can any of you prove me guilty of one sin? If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? He, belong, he who belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you did not belong to God. Listen, this has gone from, I'm the light of the world. What do you think about that? We are now entering what I'm calling the street brawling phase of this thing. This is now tense. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, but it, this is tense. This is right back at each other. You know, a lot of you have a picture of Jesus, and, and it's kind of like that picture in the library that we have there. And You know, that's... I mean, I'm, I don't know. We don't know what Jesus looked like, but that's kind of a, a Jesus that we've kind of made that's kind of this docile, oh, thank you, my son. You know, kind of, kind of this, <laughs> this picture of Jesus as kind of a, and I, kind of wimpy, you know? Definitely European. I got news for you. Jesus was a Jew, okay? He had this tan, probably the larger nose, and whatever, you know, in the in Middle Eastern would look like. And he, 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 he he wasn't no pansy. Jesus was a tough guy. He's going toe-to-toe -to -toe with these guys right here. And we're going to see it right now. And here it comes. This thing has gone from pushing to, 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 to yelling to spitting to, to shoving to now there's going to be verbal blows happening. And here comes the first verbal blow. What we're getting into, conversation of the weird, part four. And this is street brawl time. Here it goes. What do they say to him? They say to him, hey, I think, go to the next one there. Jesus, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan? It's just like totally a name-calling thing, and here it comes, and, and that you're demon-possessed. Oh, dude, 
two, do not, they are in the temple courts. This is a holy place. These are religious rulers. They knew what they were accusing him of. They knew it. And the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is standing there, fully God and fully man. And what do they accuse him of? You're a demon. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. It's crazy tense. Jesus responds back. The Samaritan thing, he doesn't even talk about. I mean, that's a, they were a half-breed, remember? It's, it's just a name-calling thing. Half-breeds who were half-Jewish and half-pagan. They kind of mixed up their religion. It was all heretical. It was, it was really a name-calling thing. But Jesus does reply back on the demon thing. And he says, I am not possessed by a demon. Just get that on record. I am not possessed by a demon. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Now, hear that for what it's worth. Jesus is saying, okay, you took a swipe at me. Guess what? That hurt. In the, in the, Eastern, in the Eastern world, for someone to heap shame or dishonor on you was extremely painful. To say that phrase, you have shamed me, you have dishonored me, was a way of saying, if, you want, if your intention was to take a swipe at me, you have done so, and it has hurt. He's acknowledging that that you did. You're dishonoring me. I'm honoring my father. You're, you're dishonoring me. Fill in the blank here. I am connected to the father. You're dishonoring the father. You are shaming the father. You are cursing the father. Just so you know what you're doing. And then he says, I'm, uh, I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who does seek it, and he is the judge. In other words, okay, you dishonored me. I honor my father. If you dishonor me, by implication, you are dishonoring the father. The father is seeking glory, and he is judge. He will vindicate his own glory. Whoo. I mean, this is a brawl. And then he replies back to them, but Jesus then comes back right at them and gives them a jab. He says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Oh, this infuriates them. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? What a question. Are you greater than him? He died, and so did the prophets. And then he says, who? The group of Jews, they say, who do you think you are? And that's the way you got to say that. It's not, oh, you know, who, who do you think you are? No, no, this is, this is like when a kid comes in at 2 a.m. Who do you think you are coming in here at 2 a.m.? That's what this is. Who do you think you are anyway, saying you're greater than Abraham? What is going on here? You are nuts. Abraham died. The prophets, they all died. You're saying if somebody follows you, they will never die? Look at how Jesus answers in verse 54. The question he's answering is, are you greater than our father Abraham? And the answer is, yep. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, there's a dig, by the way, huh? huh? Whom you happen to claim as your father, but he ain't, or like I said before, he ain't, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, just to make that clear again, I know him. If I said I did not, 
I'd be a liar like you. Another dig right there, right? He says, I know, I know the Father. If I, if I said that it wasn't true, I'd be just like you, a liar. But I do know him and keep his word. And here we go. He responds to their question, and then there's another jab, a big jab. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Implication, I saw him. I saw him see the day ahead when Messiah would come, and he was glad. Well, that sends them over the roof. They reply back and say, Aha! We have you now! I mean, I don't know why this is such an uh, aha to them and why they use this. It's, such, it's kind of a silly thing, but they're saying the math proves you wrong. Can't be. You're not even 50 years old. Jesus was probably in his mid-30s at this time. You're not 50. Abraham was gone uh, at least a few years before 50. Ha ha! We got you. You're not 50, and yet you've seen Abraham? You see that? It's kind of a ludicrous argument. This thing has gotten crazy. These two are going at each other's, or these groups are going at each other's throat. Now, from this point on, it's gone probably from a talking to a yelling, to a, to a yelling where there's spit coming out, to verbal punches, to now verbal knives are being come out. You know, we're kind of at that point. And at this point in the, in, the, in the debate, Jesus reaches into his case, pulls out the nuclear bomb button, and pushes it. <laughs> what he's going to drop right here is a bomb. Saying I'm the light of the world is one thing. Saying if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins, that's another thing. What he's going to say in John 8.58 is some argue the biggest bomb that Jesus drops anywhere ever. John 8.58, Jesus says, when they reply back to him and said, hey, listen, you, you're not even 50, and you, you saw Abraham? John 8.58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And by the way, that's his way of saying Tick, 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 tick. I'm dropping a bomb here. Tick, tick, tick. Whenever he says, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, some of your versions say there's something really important coming. And this one is, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, he's not just talking about pre-existence. See, because he could have just used, what would he have said then? Before Abraham was born, I was. I was around then. He didn't say that. He used really bad grammar on purpose. He said, before Abraham was born, I is. Okay, I just is. <laughs> Whoa. Now, to the Jewish people in this particular context, how would have that landed? You need to understand the history of where that came from. So if you got your finger in John chapter 8, you can put your finger there and flip all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, what has happened is the people of Israel are in slavery and they have been held in bondage to the Egyptians and God is going to do something about that. He's going to raise up Charlton Heston to bring them out of slavery. <laughs> All right, so Genesis chapter 3, you got to kind of look at this whole thing with me. I just want to walk you through this. Genesis chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 3 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led, to the led the flock to the far side of the desert and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he's just kind of minding his own business, just doing a day's work. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire with, from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So he sees this bush, 
and the bush is on fire, but the actual bushy part of the bush is not being burned. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses did what any one of us would do. We were in that presence of uh, being that close to the presence of God. He hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now I'm sure Moses during that whole time is going, this rocks, this is great, get the people out, sounds good, God, whoa, sending me? So he has some objections. We're not going to hit all of them, we're just going to see the very beginning of these objections. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I think you misunderstood what's going on here. Uh uh I'm going to do it. God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God back right here on this mountain. Moses then said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Ooh. That's, that's the, 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 the phrase. I am. Somebody describing their name as just a state of constant being. Ooh. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Okay? So when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, ding, 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 burning bush here. God describes his own holy name as by saying, I am. In the other ways he describes himself, he says, I am the God of, and he just describes, this is, I'm the God who talked to, to uh, Jacob and Abraham. And, uh, no, 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 no. Let me give you my real, my real name is I am who I am. That's my real name. And Jesus uses that. Skip a couple slides here there, uh, Sonia. Go to, go to uh, Isaiah. 
Isaiah, God is referring and he's speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he also talks about this whole thing. He says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Now, before I read this last verse, it's very important to understand, God is jealous for God. God loves his name, and there's to be no other. He is God, and there is no other, and it's one of the God's greatest joys is to make sure that he gets glory, and we get joy through that. It's not inconsistent. Last verse, even from eternity, I am he. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? This whole name of God, I am God, is from eternity past. It's, it's the eternal now thing. Just describing yourself as always in the present. Moses wrote about this again. He might have been reflecting on the, on the burning bush. I'm not sure, but Psalm 90 starts off the psalm by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isn't that radical? Now, when I was a kid, I used to like to, to at night, we, we, uh, I lived up in, a few miles out of Hibbing, Minnesota, five miles out, which is the sticks. I mean, you are in the sticks if you're five miles out. It feels closer for me to drive from my house to Eden Prairie than it does from my house five miles away. Uh, uh, into Hibbing. It's just you were out in the sticks. And so being out in the sticks, there used to be a little hill right by our sidewalk there. And I, I would lay on this little hill, look up at the stars, and being out in the sticks, you wouldn't have many lights. So you could see stars upon stars and galaxies upon galaxies. I mean, just out there, you know, everywhere. And I used to, even as a young kid, I'd kind of look at that and just be in awe of the stars. Anybody ever done this, like at the Boundary Waters or anything? You just look and see stars after stars. You kind of look at that, and you, your mind starts to mess with the infinity thing, you know? You can feel the whole thing kind of shaking like it's going to explode up there. And How does this work? And you think, okay, here's the universe. And you look at that star. It's way out there. And you think, okay, beyond that star, there's another one way out there, and other galaxies, and it's way out there. But you think, your mind just all of a sudden hits the overload button. It says, there's got to be like a big dome somewhere, right? It just has to be. I, did. But then, of course, you think, well, what's just on the other side of that dome? There's just got to be something on the other side. Okay, well, then there's got to be like another one. Like this is the real dome around it. It just has to be. Then, of course, you know, there's got to be something on the other side of that. And you're just kind of mind-boggling with that whole concept of infinity. As you think of space and just that there's, there's infinite amount of space. How does that work? I can, to some degree, even though it's very difficult, con, uh, uh, put in my brain the idea of infinity forward. There's some level that I can handle that. But the infinity backward thing? Ooh. I mean, God was and is and always will be. The, the, the is part, no problem. The always will be, no problem. The always was thing. How do you do that? I mean, that's good. Always back. Whoa. I mean, it just, I don't, it doesn't have a compute station for me. When Jesus says that, when he says, I am, I am eternally in the present. 
You and I live, man, we live like a movie, all right? You got the beginning, you got the all things that happen, up, oh, story's resolved, there's the end. That's how we kind of live. And we live in this movie going, ooh, wonder how it's going to turn out. Ah, da, 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 da. Ah, it turned out good. Okay, good. Providing it's a typical movie, all right? So you get this, this movie way we live it. And we have inserted our image of God on that and saying, ooh, wonder how God's going to do. We live on it like a timeline, beginning, end. Take that timeline, turn it on its end, and it's a dot. That's the way God, he's eternally now. He just sees the whole thing. I mean, the movie just starts, whoop, good, okay, God can make a decision on the movie because he's just seen the whole thing. It's just the thumbs up, thumbs down, right away. He just got all of it in front of him. Some of you might say, well, how does God know that the promises in the Bible, specifically, is Satan going to win? No, no, he's not. He's not. And, And the reason I'm saying that is because in the mind of God, it's already happened. It's already done. Because he just is now. He is he's now and he's now now. All those nows are the same. For me, that one now happened three seconds ago and there's this. God is just, now he operates with us in time. Of course, I'm not trying to blow your mind. This is not a physics lesson on time. I told you everything I've understood. Uh, that's it. So, but God is just eternally now. He knows it all. It's all done. Understand everything that I've just said to you about the eternal nature of God, the the eternity in in the heart of God and who he is. When Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, many commentators, myself included, would say that is the strongest claim to divinity anywhere in the Bible for Jesus Christ. When he says, I am, he's linking himself with the eternal God. How do they respond? This is, if this verse doesn't scare you, if John 8 59 doesn't scare you. I don't know what does. If you're a person who's a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the danger of becoming religious. And if John 8, 59 doesn't scare you, I hope, I I pray that it does. How do they respond? Listen, these are the religious, these are the religious rulers. Don't take that lightly. These are the church people. How do they respond when the Messiah is standing right in front of them and, and unveils it completely? The curtain is gone. You know what? Before Abraham was born, the same burning, I, I'm God. I'm standing right here. How do, they, how do they respond? John 8, 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. It's gotten to this, where the church people have picked up stones to throw at God. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They're going to eventually have their way with him on Jesus' time and on his terms. He's going to make it happen. They wanted to kill him right there, right at the end of chapter 8. They picked up stones. Think about how unbelievable that is. Now, why would they do that? Why would they pick up stones? Leviticus 24 teaches us why this is. They said, um, this is God speaking. It says, say to the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether an alien or native born, when he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. What they're saying is, you've just blasphemed, we're going to kill you. And in fact, what is happening is the exact flip. God Almighty is standing right in front of the assembly of the religious. Not only do they miss it, not only do they, maybe they could have just neglected it, not only that, they're picking up stones to kill him. 
John 8 for me, as we've gone through it these last, uh, well, it's been six weeks because of that series in there, has been frightening. If you're, I'm going to talk to the people, who are in the, room, people in the room who are followers of Jesus Christ, just for a minute. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can really easily slip into religion. Religion is basically a system of rules and thinking that sets you apart from other people. Well, I don't do that because I'm a Christian. Or I do these things because I'm Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or whatever. It's a, it's a way of, it's a system, it's a way of putting yourself into a group which says this is the way we think. Let me just warn you, religion is deadly. Religion is deadly. Look at these guys as an example of where religion will get you. The living Christ, eternal Christ, is standing right before them and they're throwing rocks at him. If you become religious, if you turn off your heart to a living relationship with Jesus Christ and become about a system of rules and about a system of, God, you owe me because I've done these certain things, you will end up here. Now, you might not be picking up stones to throw at God, but your heart will go that way. It has frightened me, and I pray that it's frightening you. I hope it is. Don't become religious. I just opened up a Facebook account, and those of you who are into the Facebook thing, uh, you can become my friend, but don't become coarse because we've got a little competition thing going. So um, uh, it says uh, religious preference, and I wrote down not religious, but a follower of Jesus. That's my prayer. I don't want to be religious. I do not want to be religious. Man, I don't want you to be religious either. People of Hope Community, do not be religious. Do not be church people. Golly, don't do that. This is where it will lead. This is where it will lead. You'll start to get your systems and your structures so in place. Do that with your theology too. I, have a, I think there's things God teaches you, but you hold it loosely in light of the living Christ. You say, Jesus, who are you? What is your word saying? Jesus says things in here I don't quite understand. Guess who's maybe a little bit off? My theology, you've got to take that and hold that thing loosely. Let the Bible say what it says. How can it be that the Bible te- speaks about God as being completely sovereign, that he predestines things, that he causes things to happen, that he's the one that orchestrates all of human history for his purposes and also for him to give me real choices. Before me is a real choice. I have no idea how that works together, but both are true. And just because it blows my minuscule mind how that can be true, and people throughout centuries have tried to deny one saying everything is determined, deterministic idea, or no, no, we are free, an open theist idea, God doesn't even know the future, both those are whacked. Those both are true. Now, I don't get that. I put that in my theological pipe and smoke it. I don't know how that works. But I don't even know how a light bulb works. And neither does anybody else in this room. Yeah, sure, the filament gets warm and it causes it to glow, but you can't tell me how light works because no one knows. Is it a wave? Is it a particle? Let's take a vote. We don't know. We really don't know. But no one denies that it's nice that there's light in here. We're all good with that, right? No one denies gravity. You're not just going to all of a sudden say, you know what, I just refuse to believe in gravity. Oh, we're floating around now. No, gravity just is you know what? No one really knows what gravity is. If you read any of your physics stuff, they're not even sure why gravity works. I don't got nothing. So for this stuff to be true, for Jesus to make these kind of claims, you just got to go, I want to fall at your feet, Jesus. I just want to fall at your feet. 
Like that song we sang, and I love that song that says, the simplest of all love songs, I want to sing to you. Jesus, I'm just, I'm just in awe of you. I stand in awe of you. Jesus, I'm in love with you. That's what it's about. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a theological hound. I love theology. But it has to be about knowing and serving and, and taking your box wherever you've put God and opening the lid off and saying, God, I'm just going to let you be God. You just do your thing. It has to be about that. If not, you're creating something that will eventually lead you down a road, a frightening road, a road of frustration and anger and ultimately shaking your fist at the real God, saying, hey, wait a minute. God is our father. Abraham is our father. Let me close with a question. Does the eternal living Christ have your personal attention and affection? Christ. Not just knowing about him. Christ. Not just loving marriage, but loving your wife. Or are you full of religious hostility? Holding on to your system, whatever it is. Those of you who are here today and you're just, uh, you're just wondering if what the Bible's about and if who Jesus is and all that kind of thing, hope is a place we hope you can just ask questions like that constantly. We love that. We love that, that you're here. You're more than welcome to ask questions. Jesus Christ loves honest questions. And you're getting a gift you know why? Because when I became a follower of Jesus, I thought you had to become religious. And it took me a while to get that out. You, you're getting told from day one, guess what? The road to following Jesus is not the road of religion. You get a gift this morning. Just follow Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, it blows my mind that people who would claim to be religious would in fact just uh, pick up stones. And uh, God, this is the first time through in all the years that I've read uh, this chapter that I've been convicted that it's so easy for me to become them. And God, I pray for the people in this room and for all of us, God, that it would scare us to death. The fact that we could become that, that we could become those religious leaders and people who don't just love the risen Christ. So Jesus Christ, give us a gift by your spirit right now, even as we sing this last song. Jesus, show us areas in our life where we've become hostile, where we're not listening to you. Give us a gift. Pray for that. I pray for those of us who are going through hard things right now that we would not use that as an excuse to become bitter towards you. We'd open up our hands and say, Jesus, you're giving this to me for a reason, and I trust you. You're good. Lord, I pray for people in this room who aren't yet followers of you and are pondering that, wondering what that would look like. Give them a gift, Lord. Help them know they don't have to go through religion. There's not anything they can do to clean themselves up enough. It's just trusting you and that you desire an intimate relationship with them. Let's pray this in Christ's name. Amen.